Thanks, Alexander. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, well, if you've been with us in recent weeks here, uh, you know that we are in a, a series right now that's all about Christian friendship. And we've been talking about the ways that God calls us to be intentional about developing friendships with people around us, uh, developing friendships here within the church. But we've also talked about the ways that God actually calls us to be friends with God. Not just to love God, worship God, obey God, but God actually calls us to develop a friendship with God. And if you were with us last Sunday, Candice was here to preach for us a, a wonderful sermon about the importance of, of sharing our burdens, sharing our burdens with the people that we're called to be friends with, but also sharing our burdens with God. Today, I want to switch gears just a little bit, and I want us to think about something else that we're called to share with God. Yes, God calls us to share our burdens, but there's, there's something else that we're called to share with God as we develop a friendship, and, and I want to explore what that is, because I think it's something that doesn't always come naturally to us. It's something that we tend to overlook, but it's, it's very, very important. And to help us think through this, we're going to spend a little time in this passage in Zephaniah. Uh, but before we jump into the scripture, would you pray with me? Well, Lord, um, as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would open us up, God. Open us up to the, the ways that you're expressing your love and your comfort to us today. But also open us up to the ways that you're pushing us and, and challenging us to grow and to change. We know, God, that you love us fully already just as we are. But because you love us so much, you don't want to just leave us as we are. You want us to be the best versions of ourselves. And so you, you push us. And we ask that you would help us to be open to that, Lord, so that we can become the people that you are calling us to be. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who is the living word. Amen. Well, I want to start today with just a, a quick informal poll, just to get a, a sense of the room here. So um, raise your hand, if you would, please. Raise your hand if you can confidently say that you have heard a sermon on the book of Zephaniah before. Anybody? I see zero hands. Okay, that's kind of what I suspected. So there's good news and there's bad news. Uh, the good news is this is probably, for most of you, going to be the best sermon on Zephaniah that you have ever heard today, and that's probably worth coming to church for. The bad news is this could be the worst sermon on Zephaniah that you've ever heard, so that's for you to, to decide. Uh, I will admit that I have not spent a ton of time in the book of Zephaniah, so in preparation for this sermon, I had to dust off the old seminary notes and kind of refresh my memory a little bit about what's going on in this book, and, and I'm glad I did. It was worth the effort because this, this really is a, a beautiful book and, and an especially beautiful passage that we've got to explore. Uh, but since apparently we don't have any Zephaniah scholars in the room, let me um, just, just quickly uh, give you the, the context for the passage. Zephaniah was a prophet, which is essentially a preacher, and he lived in the city of Jerusalem, which of course still exists today, but he lived there 600 years before Jesus, and um, he lived around the same time as the prophet Jeremiah, whom you may have heard of. Um, Jeremiah is the one who said, for I know the plans I have for you. You know that verse, some of you, uh, that's one of his greatest hits. And actually, many scholars think that uh, Zephaniah is a protege of the more famous prophet Jeremiah. So like, if Jeremiah is Dumbledore, Zephaniah 
is Harry Potter, right? Or if Jeremiah is Yoda, Zephaniah is Luke Skywalker. You with me? If Jeremiah is Jay-Z, Zephaniah is Kanye. I can keep going. Uh, if, if Jeremiah is Dean Smith, here's one for the Tar Heel fans, Zephaniah is Roy Williams. Or for the Dukies, if Jeremiah is Coach K, Zephaniah is Coach Shire, right? Some of y'all are thinking this is the worst sermon on Zephaniah I've ever heard. Uh, I'm done with the analogies. Okay, I'm done with the analogies. But you get the idea. So Zephaniah is a preacher, and unfortunately, he's got some bad news for the people of Jerusalem. Because for generations leading up to this, the people of Jerusalem had basically completely been ignoring God. They've been ignoring God's laws and God's rules and God's guidance. They've been worshiping false idols. As a result, oppression is rampant in the city of Jerusalem. They're not taking care of the poor. They're not taking care of the, the marginalized. They're doing all kinds of things that are destructive to themselves and destructive to people around them. The, the religious leaders are corrupt. The, the political leaders are corrupt. It's a hot mess, right? And God has been sending these prophets to, to preach to the people of Jerusalem to say, you need to get your act together. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the people around you. You're not living up to the standard that I've set for you. You're not in, in, uh, embodying the, the calling that I've placed on you. But the people aren't listening. They're not listening. They're not listening. And meanwhile, you got the great empire of Babylon that's right next door. And the empire is getting bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. And so by the time of Zephaniah, the writing is on the wall that pretty soon the Babylonians are going to come in and attack Jerusalem. And because their society is such a mess, they're not going to be able to withstand that attack. So the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to destroy everything in Jerusalem. And so much of the book of Zephaniah is him warning the people of Jerusalem, this destruction is coming. Most of the book is a lot of doom and gloom, fire and brimstone, is some harsh stuff. But then, here at the end of the book of Zephaniah, where we get this passage, he switches gears, he switches his tone, he switches up his flow, right? Because he, he starts to give us this vision of what's going to happen after destruction. And he says what's going to happen after destruction is there's going to be restoration. This is a pattern that we see all throughout Scripture. After destruction... God brings restoration. After destruction, God brings restoration. Many of us could tell stories of that from our own life, right? We've been through times of destruction, and God brings restoration. So Zephaniah gives us this, this beautiful, powerful vision of what it's going to look like when God brings restoration. And he's describing the restoration of Jerusalem. But as Christians, we, we read back this passage, and we can see that actually maybe in ways that Zephaniah himself didn't even realize, he was actually pointing ahead not just to the, the restoration of Jerusalem, but he was actually pointing ahead in this vision to the restoration of the whole world, the restoration of all things when there is no more evil or suffering or death, when all of that is gone forever. What, what is that going to be like? Zephaniah tells you. Uh, he tells me. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, rejoice, daughter Zion. And the word he uses there in the original Hebrew, it actually, uh, it means literally sing out loud. Sing out loud. We'll come back to that in a second. Sing out loud, daughter Zion. Shout Israel. He says, rejoice, exalt with all your hearts, daughter Jerusalem. Zephaniah is saying, hey, you want to know what it's like when God restores all things? It's going to be like a party. But not just any kind of party. 
It's going to be like one of those kind of parties where people just are so joyful, they, they break out in song. I was trying to think this week, what are the kind of parties that we have today in our culture where people sing? What one that came to mind was birthday parties, right? Um, you, you can't have a birthday party if you don't sing happy birthday. Uh, I'm at a, a stage in my life right now where I spend a whole lot of my time taking my little kids to other little kids' birthday parties. Sometimes it's y'all's little kids' birthday parties. And there's kind of this unwritten rule among parents that, like, it's okay to leave a kid's birthday party early if you need to scoot out, but you really need to try to stay until at least everybody gets a chance to sing happy birthday, because singing is, it's an important part of the party. This has, it can be problematic. I um, went to a party uh, recently where this party was four hours long, kid's birthday party, and I'm just here to tell you, don't take this the wrong way. But four hours is too long for your kid's birthday party, okay? I don't know who needs to hear this today. I'm just saying, we love your child. We want to celebrate them. Four hours is too long. And so I made chit-chat with all the other parents, and I even tried to invite some people to church and all this, and I was ready to leave, but they kept not singing happy birthday, and I was just stuck as a hostage. The point is, you got to sing happy birthday at a birthday party, right? Or I was thinking about other parties where we, we sing. I wonder if you've ever been to a karaoke party. Karaoke parties are fun, and the, the whole purpose of the party is just to get together and sing. Um, I went to a karaoke party back in college, and under intense peer pressure, I got up and I sang a song. I picked James Taylor, which was a bad move in hindsight, and about 30 seconds into the song, I realized this is not going to go well at all. I butchered it. It was terrible. I never want to do that again, but everybody else had a great time at my expense, and then I got to have a good time at their expense whenever they got up and butchered their own song, right? Uh, or I was thinking recently, um, my family and I were out at a local establishment here in Durham. And my wife and I were enjoying some beverages and our kids were having some food and we're hanging out. And we look up at a certain point and we see this guy in the corner of the room and he starts setting up a speaker. And then he pulls out this like DJ mix table and we're like, oh, they're going to play some music. That's cool. But then he pulls out a screen and, and before we knew it, we found ourselves in the middle of this, like, impromptu karaoke party. And I did not get up and sing because I learned my lesson about that. But I enjoyed watching other people get up and, and do their thing. And my kids were having so much fun. They still talk about it. They still make us listen to the different songs that they learned at that karaoke party. That There's something especially joyful about a party where we sing. And the point here is that Zephaniah is saying, hey, when, when God restores all things, it's not just going to be a party, but it, it's going to be like that. People are going to be breaking out in song. But what's really interesting is that Zephaniah doesn't stop there. He, he goes a little further, and he gives us this, this incredible image uh, that I want to share with you. So this is in verse 17. Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is in your midst. He says, A warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. That's pretty cool. We could have a whole sermon on that. He will create calm with his love. But here's the part that I want us to pay attention to. Then Zephaniah says, he, talking about the Lord, he will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah is saying, uh, listen, at this great karaoke party that's going to break out when God restores all things, not only are we all going to sing, but at a certain point, God's going to grab the mic, and God's going to get on stage, and God is going to start singing over us. What do you think that God is going to sing over us? Just for kicks, I kind of looked it up this week about, like, what are the top karaoke songs? One of the top songs is 
don't stop believing. Seems appropriate for God to sing, I think. Uh, another one is, hey Jude, God probably likes the Beatles. Everybody likes the Beatles. The Beatles didn't always like God, but you know, I'm just, just kidding. Um, uh, that was a joke. Uh, I think another one was Love Shack, you know? It's like, that'd be fun. I don't know if God would sing Love Shack. Who knows, right? Use your imagination. The point here, here's the point in this whole passage. Zephaniah is actually telling us something really, really important for us to know about the God that we worship. And that is that we have this God who doesn't just want to share in our concerns and our burdens. You know, Candace talked to us last week about the importance of sharing our concerns and our burdens with God. That is important, and God invites us to do that. But even more, we have a God who also wants to share in our celebrations as well. Isn't that amazing? God wants to celebrate with us. And this is something that we see not just here in this obscure passage in Zephaniah, but we actually see this all over Scripture. Once your eyes are open to it, you can see it everywhere. We, we see it, I think, most clearly in Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' very first miracle? He turned water into wine. And do you remember why? It was because he was at a party. He was at a celebration, and he wasn't ready for the party to be done. So he, he did this miracle just to keep the party going. Pretty amazing. Jesus was a bit of a party animal, we come to see, because he starts throughout his ministry. He goes to all kinds of different people's parties. Sometimes he crashes parties he wasn't invited to. So sometimes he goes and he parties with people that he doesn't even get along with. That's how much he loved a good party. This was actually one of the, the chief criticisms of Jesus, that the, the religious establishment of that day looked at Jesus and they said, well, hang on, he says he's the son of God. He says he's this holy religious figure, but he parties all the time. And he doesn't just party with other holy people, like he parties with, with party people. And they were so upset and they were so offended by that. That was actually one of the main reasons that they had Jesus arrested and eventually killed. And do you remember after Jesus' resurrection, he, he sends us out into the world. He sends the church into the world. And one of the things that he tells us to do is he says, keep partying together. Keep celebrating together. Get together on Sunday mornings and eat together and sing together. Sing together. That's an important part of, of what we do. I was a, a seminary intern at this little country church a number of years ago. And uh, one day we were getting worship started, but the music director had car trouble and she couldn't make it. And so there was nobody there to lead music. And so we just started this service with no music and we ended up having no music at all in this service. It was the weirdest thing ever. You don't want to be at a church with no music. It's odd. Jesus tells us we need to sing together. We need to, to party together. Why? Because we have this God who wants to celebrate with us. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Because if God calls us to be friends with God, this is part of what friends do, right? I'm grateful that I have friends that I can call up and I can share my burdens with. And sometimes I'll call my friends, and if I'm having an especially bad day, our entire conversation is me telling them my burdens, sharing my concern. But that's kind of the exception. Most of the time when I call my friends, and I'm sure you're similar, I might share some of my concerns and my burdens, but I'm also going to share some of the good things. Here's what's happening that's, that's good. Here's what I, I'm celebrating. You know, I was thinking back over my life, and most of the major celebrations I've had, I've celebrated with my friends, even from the time I was a kid, going to my own birthday parties. My mom would take me to Chuck E. Cheese, but I wouldn't go by myself. I would go with friends. When I graduated high school, when I got married, 
When we found out we were pregnant with our, our children, all of those we, we celebrated with friends. That's what friends do. So we have this God who wants to celebrate with us. Now, I think for most of us, if you take a step back and, and think about it, for most of us, we're, we're much more inclined to share our burdens and our concerns with God, I think. In fact, I, I think that um, for many of us, and I've certainly been through seasons like this in my life, where really the only time that I prayed at all was when I had concerns or I had a burden to share with God. That was what prompted me to, to pray, then I'd share my burden with God, and then that would be the end of my prayer. I've been through seasons in my life where that's what would prompt me to come to worship. I would show up to worship on Sunday morning. Maybe some of you can relate to this because I had a burden. I had a need that I needed to share with God. But when I wasn't feeling that need, I wasn't necessarily coming. I wasn't necessarily spending time with God or talking with God. And so what, what I'm getting at here is I think there's actually a challenge for us within this. The challenge is how can we incorporate more celebration into our relationship with God? so that it's not just about our needs and our, and our concerns. I want to give you just a, a few suggestions for ways that, that I think we can do this. Um, one way we can do it is we can make sure that we're saying thank you, that we're saying thank you to God, not just a little bit, but like a lot, a lot. Because if you think about it, it's, it's really hard to say thank you without entering into a spirit of celebration, Right? I would say it's, it's probably almost impossible. If you're saying thank you, you're, you're celebrating some good thing. Uh, there, there's this story in the Gospels where Jesus is walking through this place called Samaria, and um, the, these 10 people run up to Jesus because we're told these 10 people, they, they have this horrible disease called leprosy. And so they come to Jesus because they have this burden and they have this need, and they come and they say, Jesus, would you heal us? Jesus, would you heal us? And we're told Jesus, in his compassion, he heals all 10 of these people. And we're told that they leave rejoicing. And yet, as far as we know, none of them ever talked to Jesus ever again. The only thing they did was share their need with Jesus, except one. We're told that one of the ten, he actually stops, he turns around, he comes back to Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to say thank you. He wanted to say thank you. And he ends up sharing this beautiful moment of celebration with Jesus. And Jesus praises him for that. Why? Because again, we have this God who doesn't just want to share our burdens, but God also wants to share our celebrations as well. So I would just encourage you to think about in your own prayer time with God, and when you show up to worship, try not to think about it as a time for you to just run through your list of concerns, but also think about running through your list of joys and celebrations and say thank you to God for those blessings. What if, just something to think about, what if we tried to make 50% of the things we said to God some version of thank you. How would that change our relationship? How would that enrich our friendship with God if we were to do that? I think it would, it would enrich our relationship a lot. So that's one way we can do it. Say thank you a lot. Here's another way. We can make sure that we're inviting God to our parties. That may sound weird, so let me explain what I mean. When you're planning a party, whether it's a birthday party, anniversary, wedding, retirement, whatever. Part of what you have to do for any party is you have to figure out, who am I going to invite, right? Who, who do I want to come to this party? So what if, just kind of as a spiritual discipline, we just try to make sure God's always on the guest list, that we take a moment before every party and say, God, thank you again for this, because none of this, whatever the good thing is that we're celebrating, it wouldn't be possible without you, God. So would you come and would you bless us with your presence? at this party. God's everywhere. 
So God's going to show up anyways. God's going to crash all of our parties all the time. But nevertheless, it can be a good spiritual discipline to be intentional about inviting God to come and, and share in our celebrations. Uh, last thing I'll say about this is um, I think it's really important that we not wait until we no longer have any concerns or needs before we start celebrating with God, right? Because the reality is until Jesus comes back, until that day that Zephaniah tells us about where everything is, is fully restored, we're going to keep having needs. We're going to keep having concerns. That's just part of being a human being in this world. And so the trick for us is to, to find ways to celebrate with God even in the midst of our concerns and, and our needs. Uh, back when I was in seminary, uh, I took this class on the development of the black church tradition within America. And it was a wonderful class, and I learned so much. I'm a privileged white person, and there was so much I didn't know. There's so much I, I'm still learning. But I remember in this class, we, we had a unit that was on the spirituality of enslaved people back, back during the time of slavery. And as you can imagine, a big part of the spirituality of, of enslaved people was lament, that they, they had such overwhelming burdens and, and tragedy and hardship and pain and suffering that, that a big part of their spirituality is they, they, they would cry out to God. They would cry out to God and share those burdens with God. But what struck me was that for, for many of these enslaved people, that wasn't the only thing that defined their spirituality, that, that they found ways to, to celebrate, even in the midst of such harsh circumstances, they found ways to, to celebrate with God, that their, their worship services would often have a spirit of, of joy. And in many cases, it wasn't because of their circumstances, there wasn't much to celebrate in their circumstances, but they leaned on the promises of God because they knew freedom is coming and that evil and death and this injustice and pain and the evil of white supremacy, none of this is going to get the last word on us. None of this is ultimately more powerful and God's love for me. And so they were able to find a way to celebrate. And that celebration actually became an act of resistance against the evil forces of this world. And I remember sitting there thinking like, wow, if, if people facing such unspeakable tragedy can still find ways to celebrate with God in the midst of that, then I can certainly find ways to celebrate with God, even in the midst of things that I'm going through as well. The point is, don't, don't wait. Don't wait until everything's perfect before you begin to celebrate with God. We have this God. We have this God who wants to celebrate with us, and that's part of our friendship with God. So if we can keep finding ways to do that, we can develop the kind of deep, meaningful friendship that God wants to share with us. Let me pray for us. Oh, God, we thank you for who you are. God, you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker, Lord. We thank you that we can come to you with our burdens, with our shame, with our struggles, God, and you invite us to share all of that with you. But we also thank you, Lord, that, that you want to celebrate with us as well. God, we know you are the source of all good things. Every good thing that we have ever had ultimately comes from you. So God, we thank you for that. And we celebrate with you. Lord, help us to celebrate with you even more so that we can develop a deep, rich, meaningful friendship, the kind of friendship that will sustain us, the kind of friendship that will lead us into the life that you put us on this earth to live. We love you, Jesus. 
Thank you for this message. I pray all of this in your name. Amen. We're going to move now into our song of reflection, and those of you that worship with us regularly, you know this this is kind of a time of prayer for us after the sermon. It's a time when I often encourage you to lift up your concerns, lift up your burdens to God. Uh, But today, I want to give you something specific to do in kind of the the spirit of this this sermon and this focus for today. Uh, What if you take the next few minutes as Ty and the band are are, uh, singing, what if you take the next few minutes and, and just in this few minutes, only say thank you to God? Only invite God to celebrate with you. Count your blessings. Think about all the things in your life that God has given you. Even though you may have needs and burdens as well, that's okay. There's plenty of time to pray for that as well. But just in this moment, can you celebrate with God? I can sing a billion songs, dance till my feet are numb. (laughs) 